Let's turn our Bibles back to the epistle of James and take up two verses that we find there that contain lessons three and four from this chapter. James chapter five. I hope that you can delight in the faith and hope, comfort and peace that the first 11 verses would have given persecuted saints that had those words read to them by an inspired apostle. But let's come to verse 12 that has our third lesson and a lesson that for a people that speak too much and have unclean lips, much attention should be paid to these words. James 5.12 But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea, and your nay, nay, lest ye fall into condemnation. This is a wonderful verse to teach us how to read our Bibles. I consider this subject second only to wine in the Bible that show how confused people can get by reading without reading the whole Bible. If you want to read one verse, you can prove anything from a Bible. But if you want to read the whole Bible, all 31,173, you'll find a different slant on many of those individual verses by consulting the whole. And that is one of our first rules of Bible study. Knowing this verse, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. We don't allow contradictions. So when we read a verse like this, we have to take it in light of the rest of the Bible. There are those that take this subject and, and say that all swearing, any oath, any vow is sin. Because as they would say, the Bible means what it says and says what it means. Well, that's a cute little jingle, but it has no value. Right. Has no value. Because it's the sense of words that are very important. And sometimes those, that sense might be a little different than what appears to your eyes when you read a verse. Let's look at this for a few minutes, and then we'll look at verse 13 for a few minutes. Lessons 3 and 4. This lesson is James' condemnation of the Jewish tendency for foolish swearing. I'm only going to hit the high points. If you want more, you should have listened very carefully to Matthew 5, 33 through 37 when it was read. Because Jesus wasn't overthrowing the Old Testament, and the Old Testament commanded swearing. Jesus was overthrowing the foolish swearing of the Jews. And then you should read Matthew chapter 23, verses 16 through 22, which you had read to it, which we had read to us, where some of that foolish swearing is actually identified and the Lord gives us examples of it. We want to rightly divide the word of truth. So looking at Matthew 5 and Matthew 23 and then James 5 and reading the whole scripture, we find out that swearing is an act of worship engaged in by good and godly men, and it was commanded so. God swore, Jesus swore, Paul swore, David swore, God swore in His wrath. Swearing was a very common thing. But that swearing in the Bible was only done for serious matters, and it was only done with one object in mind. As the Lord liveth. As the Lord liveth. I love our weddings where we get to see a young man and a young woman say to each other in response to the questions that are asked them, as the Lord liveth, I will. As the Lord liveth, I will. 
Because they're binding themselves with a covenant before God that they're going to keep the things the Bible teaches about marriage. If you would like to read more on this subject, there is a 16-page outline on the website, uh, single-spaced, on this subject. As it deals with Matthew chapter 5, you can find it in the Sermon on the Mount. The verse begins with the words, but above all things. That's an intention-getting device. That is not saying that this verse is the most important verse of the New Testament. But for those people that want to believe the Bible says what it means what it says and says what it means, you might think that. If I go over to 3 John, I find that John wrote Gaius and said, Above all things, I desire you to be in health even as your spirit prospers. Well, now I don't believe that the Apostle John felt the most important thing in the world was the physical health of Gaius. That's what it says if we're going to take those words and try to force some literalistic, extreme meaning on them. We, we say things like this when we're talking to someone, and we may have a list of things. We want to get their attention. I really want you to get this one. Well, that doesn't mean we don't want them to get the others as well. We're just at a point where we feel we're losing their attention, and we want to grab it. If we go to Peter, Peter says, above all things, put fervent charity on. Which man should we believe? That above all things we shouldn't swear, or above all things we should put fervent charity on? I'm not trying to make fun of the Word of God. I want you to understand that words have a sense with them. And this sense is to get our attention that this was important to this audience. Remember, James wrote, James, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. James was a Jew. He was writing to Jews. The Jews had the problems that Jesus identified in Matthew 5 and Matthew 23 as swearing frivolously. Did you hear those words? Did you hear the words that if you swore by the temple, now you didn't have to keep that oath, but if you swore by the gold of the temple, you had to keep that oath. Now is that somebody with twisted priorities? That the gold makes your oath of value? The Lord Jesus Christ said, the gold would have no value except it's attached to the temple. The temple sanctifies the gold. And there's a God that's worshipped by that temple. They would swear by the altar. They'd be going through life and they'd just say, I swear by the altar in Jerusalem. They knew they didn't have to keep that oath. Can you believe that? That people were that messed up? See, it's hard for you to imagine that, but we've got to read the Bible and see that so that we understand why James wrote what he did. But if you swore by the gift that was on the altar that would have cost somebody some money, does that show where those hearts were? Money was all that mattered to them. If you swore by the gift that was on the altar, you are bound by that oath. You know, they swore by their head. They swore, and they couldn't change one hair to make it black or white. Because there's only one being that can do that. Let's look for a few minutes at swearing. Very quickly. To swear is to make a solemn declaration or statement with an appeal to God as the supreme authority in the universe to confirm that you mean what you're saying. Look at Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. All James is doing in James 5.12 is condemning the same Jewish error that Jesus condemned. He is not saying we can't go to court and take an oath. He's saying, don't you swear like the Jews are swearing frivolously on foolish occasions by the gold, by the temple, by heaven, by earth, by Jerusalem, or anything like that. We've been over this before, so I'm not going to belabor the point. You understand what is here. Now, there's whole denominations that read a verse like this and run off into a ditch. 
The Mennonites, the Jehovah's Witnesses, will not take an oath in court. They will not go to court, put their left hand on the Bible, raise their right hand to heaven, and say, I solemnly swear to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God. Now, what kind of a religion is that that won't appeal to God of heaven for the veracity or truthfulness of what they're what, testifying? Right. It's a wonderful act of worship. Every time you swear in the name of the Lord, you're lifting up the Lord as the highest authority in the universe. It is an act of worship. It was commanded in the Old Testament. I'll show you a couple of examples. But first of all, what is swearing? Hebrews 6.16 For men verily swear by the greater. Hebrews 6.16 Men verily, it's a truth, that men swear by the greater. And an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. When there is disagreement and someone swears and he appeals to the God of heaven, it ends the strife because he's appealed to the highest authority in the universe to give credit to his words. And that's why we do what we do in our country. Left hand in the Bible, right hand up, lift it up to heaven, showing your clean hand that you are going to testify the truth. So help me God. When our public officials take office, left hand in the Bible, oh, pretty soon it's going to be the Koran. Pretty soon, what does that mean in light of what I just said? It's already happened. Did you know that we have a congressman that was sworn into our country on the Koran? So help me God. That's a beautiful way to enter office. And our country did it, and that is oath, and that is swearing, and Jehovah's Witnesses and Mennonites won't do it. And there have been huge wars fought over this subject. But this verse, James 5.12, is taken out of the context of the Bible and batted and used like a club for all swearing. What it's getting rid of is frivolous swearing. Look at what he mentioned. He tells you, heaven and earth. He doesn't say, don't swear by the Lord. He says, don't swear by heaven or earth. And when it says, or by any other oath, it's any other such oath like heaven or earth. Because if you take it any other way than that, you're going to condemn God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul, David, and everyone else, including the, the angel that's going to swear in Revelation chapter 10 when he raises his hand to heaven and swears that time shall be no more. Right. We're not going to condemn any of them. We're going to understand that this verse is against frivolous Jewish swearing, which is a problem identified in the Bible, and by reading the Bible we can find it and understand it. Look at right here in context of Hebrews 6.16, look at verse 17. Wherein, because swearing removes all doubt about a person's word, verse 17, wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. God swore that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. God has not only promised to come and deliver us and give us the righteousness of His Son, Jesus Christ, the seed of Abraham, He also swore by Himself that He would do it. He added an oath to it to prove that He would surely perform His promises. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. How many of you have encountered... I don't need to see hands. I hope that you've read the Old Testament enough to know that you have encountered the words a few times. The Lord liveth. As the Lord liveth. That is an oath. That's swearing. As truly as Jehovah is alive. I did or did not do that. As the Lord liveth. 
the Lord Jehovah. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 13. Deuteronomy 6.13, this is one of many. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve Him, and shalt swear by His name. Now we've got a thou shalt swear, we've got a thou shalt not swear. Can we handle these two? Or do we end up in some confusion? There's no confusion. Thou shalt swear by the Lord's name. Notice in James 5, there is nothing mentioned about the Lord's name. It was swearing by earth or by heaven that was condemned by James. And if we fool around with frivolous swearing like that, saying that one oath we're not bound by, one oath we are bound by, we're going to be condemned when the Lord comes. Because He's going to hold us accountable for our words. Our ordinary daily conversation ought to be yes and no. If you're going to say something positive, then say yes and fulfill your word. If you're not going to do something and you're trying to express a negative, then say no and fulfill your word and let it be true. Let your yea be yea and your nay, nay. You don't have to add earth, heaven, gold, sacrifice, altar, temple, Jerusalem, hair, head, or anything else to your words. Let it be yes and no. If, in the case you're called upon to swear, as the Lord liveth, so help me God. That's the only being we ever swear by. Turn to Ruth 3. We were in Ruth recently. Let's take a peek at Ruth and see if we can find some swearing in the book of Ruth. Ruth chapter 3. Boaz is talking to Ruth. They're in the threshing floor. It's the middle of the night. And he says to her, Tarry this night, and it shall be in the morning. Ruth 3.13 That if he will perform unto thee the part of a kinsman, well, let him do the kinsman's part. But if he will not do the part of a kinsman to thee, then will I do the part of a kinsman to thee, as the Lord liveth. Lie down until the morning. That girl went home, and she may not have had a diamond on her left hand, but I'll tell you, she went home with more confidence than a stupid ring shows. And but Oh, I didn't mean You know how I meant that. All I meant was comparison. The word of an oath. Oh, I'm in deep trouble. You know what I meant. That in comparison to calling upon the name of the Lord and saying, as the Lord liveth, if that kinsman doesn't take you, Ruth, I've got you, as the Lord liveth. That was a certain sure thing he was going to marry her if the other kinsman didn't do it. But notice the swearing, as the Lord liveth. The Bible's full of it. How many examples? I don't need to give you so many examples. I mean, look at 1 Samuel 27. I don't need to give you examples. 1 Samuel 26.10. We'll just look at a couple. The whole nation of Israel swore together on several occasions. A prophet or a king would get the whole nation and make the whole nation swear, as the Lord liveth, we are going to do such and such, and bind themselves, bind their souls by an oath. This is a huge religious controversy. If you go back and look at the last 500 years, the Mennonites versus the Baptists on this subject, swearing. They saw James 5, they saw Matthew 5, and couldn't handle it. We see the whole Bible can easily handle it by the grace of God. By the grace of God, He's opened our eyes to see it. Or we would be confused, but there's no confusion once you get a hold of Matthew 23 and you see the error of the Jews. 1 Samuel 26.10, David said, Furthermore, as the Lord liveth, the Lord shall smite him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall descend into battle and perish. This is when Abishai wanted to kill King Saul, and David wouldn't let him. David said, As the Lord liveth, 
the Lord shall smite him. We're not going to do it. And so there, again, is another oath. Let's look at the Apostle Paul, Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, let's see that it's in both Testaments. Jesus, when He was on trial, didn't say a word until He was sworn to an oath. He was silent. He went, he went as a, a, a lamb is dumb before her shears. He went silently in His trial until the high priest said, I adjure thee by the living God to tell us whether you're the Son of God or not. Then Jesus answered. He had to answer. Because the law of Moses required that when a judge, which the high priest was in this case, swore you to an oath, you had to respond, and Jesus responded it. Responded, And you know his, his language in the Bible is, Thou sayest it. We understand that as you bet I am. I am the Son of God. He responded to an oath because he was put under oath by the man leading that trial. Romans chapter 1 and verse 9, For God is my witness. Now why, did Paul ha- why didn't Paul just say yes? I make mention of you in my prayers. He added an oath. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of His Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. What that did to these Roman readers was Paul confirmed the fact that he did pray for them often. God is my witness. He invoked God to confirm that what he was saying was definitely true in the New Testament. Oh, and there's more, but we don't have time for it. Hey, I read, I mentioned one. Let's look at it. Revelation chapter 10. Revelation chapter 10. I mean, from, from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, you can go to Genesis 24. Abraham got his servant to make an oath with him that when he went and found a wife for Isaac, he would bring that he would bring that woman back to Isaac. He would not take Isaac to that woman. He made an oath. He made him swear before he would even let him go. You're, you are going to swear about this matter. It was so important to Abraham and Sarah. Revelation chapter 10, verse 5, And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand to heaven and swear by him that liveth forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are that therein are, and the earth and the things that therein are, and the sea and the things which are therein, that there should be time no longer. There's an angel swearing. There's no contradictions in the Bible. We understand that James, a Jew, is writing to Jews, and so he's addressing a problem that Jesus had already addressed. And we're thankful for the Lord showing us the truth. Swearing is totally legitimate if God is the only thing you ever swear by and you only swear for serious matters where you need to confirm your word and then you always keep your word when you swear by the God of heaven. So you have the right religion, you have the right actions, you swear by the right object, and you only swear at the right time. You don't flip it off every time when you could, could get away with yes or no. If you can get away with yes or no, what are you supposed to say? Yes or no. But if you need to confirm your word as the Lord liveth, or so help me God, as we do in our own country. We need to be careful of words like God's attributes. He does not want us to swear by anything but Him. Did you notice that in Matthew 23? He doesn't want us swearing by the temple because there's a God that's worshipped through that temple. He doesn't want us swearing by our heads because He's the only one that can change the hairs on our heads. And yet I hear people say, holy cow, that's swearing and you're going to be held accountable for those words. And there's a whole lot more than that. How in the world did the word holy, 
which is one of the most beautiful words about our God, get connected with a cow, other than, other than Aaron's golden calf. Who would ever put those two words together but the devil himself? Holy cow. You've heard people say that. That word doesn't belong with cow. There's only one holy in the universe, and it's the Lord. Amen. We do not, we do not use language like that, and we need to stop it and, and help each other get all of it out of our vocabularies. How about my goodness? Somebody, something will happen and somebody will say, my goodness. You don't have any goodness. The Bible says very plainly there's only one good and he's God. Amen. Why in the world are you adding validity to your words by saying, my goodness? You say, I don't hear, you know what? We're reading here in James 5, James 5.12, that men were swearing by the earth. I've never heard anything like that, really. My lands. Ever heard anybody swear by my lands? Or land sakes. For land, can you believe it? That's what they do. They're swearing by the earth. There's a God that created all that land. I don't care whether you have a deed or title to it or not. He owns it all. And we're to swear by one object, and that's the Lord in heaven. We do swear by the earth. You say, I've never heard anybody swear by heaven. For heaven's sakes. Oh, yes, you have. You have heard the violations of this verse, and this verse condemns those violations. Beware of euphemisms when you take the name of God and are using it flippantly in conversation that doesn't justify swearing in God's name. What's a euphemism? It's a pretty sounding word for an ugly sin. It's when somebody says, gah, golly, gee, geez, gee whiz, gosh, darn, dang, god, dog gone, dog nabbit. Where'd all those words come from? Have you heard all those words? Golly. Golly gee, gee whiz. Those are words for God and Jesus Christ. And God damn it. You are cursing and, you are cursing and swearing with an oath as strong as it gets. When you say God damn it, and if you change it around and say dog nabbit, which I've heard many times, they think they've sanitized their sin, but they haven't. If there's ever an occasion to sin, if there's ever occasion to swear, we are going to swear by the Lord Jehovah. As the Lord liveth, I am telling the truth. As the Lord liveth, I will or I will not do this. Or as the Lord liveth, I have or have not done this. But we will not, in our casual conversation, be flipping out with all these euphemisms. This isn't taught anymore, but it should be taught. These words ought not to come out of our mouths. You know, men today swear by animal excrement, human excrement, sexual organs, sexual acts. You all know. I won't demonstrate that one. It's amazing to me, though. I, I love it. I'd like to say it. But I'm going to be merciful to some of you that can't handle it. I'd like to say it because remember what swearing is. Swearing is appealing to a higher authority to give value to your words. And so the average person today appeals to what is in a barnyard in order to add credibility to their words. Can you believe that? Something happens to them and they say, blank, no? Or blank? Now listen, the word that I'm not saying 
if you want to use it as an adjective in a sentence at the appropriate time in a godly way, go ahead and use it. Did we read in Job chapter 20 the use of dung that way? A four-letter word describing excrement? Yes, we did. But it was used as an adjective or a noun. It was used as a noun in that particular case to describe the folly of a wicked man. But to let it come flying out of our mouth as an exclamation point is trying to add power and value and integrity to our words by appealing to what's in a barnyard. I think the Lord is magnificent. When He blinds men, they don't even know what they're saying. And out of our mouths come holy blank. Not my, I mean, not ours, but out of our, our mouths as men. That is terrible. That is the violation of Job. I mean, James chapter 5 and verse 12 that affects our society, our nation, our world in this time. There is a sober way to use words like dung. The Apostle Paul did in Philippians chapter 3. But we don't ever use it by throwing it out as an exclamation point where we're appealing to something or adding weight or power to our words. That is because then you're making an oath based on something very, very low. Swearing has to have the right occasion and it has to be by the right object. If you really need to confirm your word, then you would make an oath and you would do it very carefully because the Bible says to be very slow in making an oath. It is better not to vow than to vow and not pay. And if you're going to vow and there's an occasion for it, then you would only vow as the Lord liveth because that's the highest authority in the universe. One final verse, Jeremiah chapter 4. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 4. The Pharisees, the leaders of the Jews, lived the wrong religion, swore by the wrong objects, swore at the wrong times, and followed their oaths with the wrong actions. They would say, this oath binds you, this oath doesn't. You can see the error. Jesus addressed it. He told us what the problem was. James addressed it with the same language of his Lord. We understand that he wasn't dealing at all with ordinary, proper swearing that had been commanded in the Bible. He wasn't overthrowing the Old Testament or the New. He was condemning an excess of the Jews with their frivolous speech. Jeremiah chapter 4 and verse 2. Here's one of the, one of, one verse out of many about swearing in the Bible. And thou shalt swear, the Lord liveth in truth, in judgment, and in righteousness. And the nations shall bless themselves in him, and in him shall they glory. That's how you should swear. The Lord liveth in truth, in judgment, and in righteousness. We want to swear by the highest authority. It's an act of worship to our God. Then we want to keep our words. And we only want to do it on occasions where it's called for, where it's necessary to confirm our word. Otherwise, our yes should stand, our no should stand. We should be men and women of our word. When we give it, that's all a person needs. James chapter 5. If you want more on that subject, and it's a great Bible study, There's a 16-page outline on the website. I hope you would look at it. It's a great Bible study. James chapter 5 and verse 13. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Do you know what this verse is? What lesson it gives us? And it's lesson 4 from this chapter. This is a lesson of a faith-based life. 
This verse is faith-based living. Is any among you afflicted? If you are afflicted, you have troubles, pain, or difficulties in your life, what should you do? Despair? Get distressed? Get destroyed? Get depressed? Quit? Give up? Curse? Grumble? Complain? What should you do? Pray. Take it to the Lord. Cast all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. If you're merry, if any among you are merry, what should you do? Go party? Get drunk? Blast off? Shoot off your mouth? Jump around? Blow party favors? What should you do? Sing psalms. Everything is directed back toward heaven. Everything. That is faith-based living right here in one verse, the fourth lesson out of the seven of this epistle. When adversity or affliction comes into your life, you should take it to the Lord first. Remember how this epistle started? My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations. And then it goes on to describe how we should look at those temptations as God's means to purify us and to perfect us. And then it goes on to say, if you're having difficulty responding that way, then ask the Lord for wisdom. There's the prayer associated with the temptations. I just quoted, casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. When trouble comes, we don't go to the government, we go to the Lord. We don't go to despair, we don't go hide in our beds, we go to the Lord. That's what we do when trouble comes. Thou wilt keep Him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on Thee. When something bad comes into our lives, we go to the Lord and we stay with the Lord. Because that's the only solid foundation we have when we're in a time of storm in our life. Look at holding your hand there at James 5. Look at Philippians 4. They're very well-known words. But I want you to learn this. When you have heard me say, faith-based living, this is what we mean. Good or bad. Bad or good. Events in your life to the Lord. In the day of prosperity, consider. In the day of adversity, consider. In both cases, look at the Lord's hand in the matter. And do not get haughty, nor should you get discouraged and depressed. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Be careful for nothing. Don't worry about anything. This is bad things coming into your life. Being, when it says be careful for nothing, means don't be anxious, don't be worried, don't be fearful. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That is how we respond to negative events in our lives. We go to the Lord in prayer without worrying. We commit the matter to Him with thanksgiving for all the wonderful things He's done for us in the past. And what does He promise to do? He promises to give us a peace that is not humanly explainable. And He'll keep our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. It is faith-based living with negative events. We can't let our troubles destroy us. We may get a little bit cast down. But listen, do you know where you ought to go when you're cast down? It's not to bed. It's not to melancholy music. Where should you go when you're cast down? To the Lord. To prayer. Get on your knees and beg the Lord to deliver you. That's where you go. 
We can't turn to the arm of flesh. We turn to the Lord. There is no help in princes, David taught in Psalm 118. There's only help in the Lord. And that's where we want to turn. One last verse on this verses. Psalm 146. On this particular, this, the first half of James 5.13. Let's turn to Psalm 146. Faith-based living. You know, they were being troubled on every side. They were being persecuted, tormented. Some of them were being condemned and killed. And what, what is the solution? Are you afflicted? Are you afflicted in your circumstances? Afflicted in your job? Afflicted in your health? Afflicted in your spirit? Pray. Pray. That is the rule of faith-based living. James is going to mention it in one verse and go on. And we're going to deal with some other subjects next Sunday from the remaining verses. James, we're in Psalm 146, verse 3. Put not your trust in princes, nor in the Son of Man, in whom there is no help. His breath goeth forth, he returneth to his earth. In that very day his thoughts perish. Happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God, which made heaven and earth the sea, and all that therein is, which keepeth truth forever, which executeth judgment for the oppressed, which giveth food to the hungry. And it goes on to describe all the wonderful things God does for those in trouble. When we're troubled or afflicted, we pray. Let's look at the second half of that verse. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. When joy or prosperity comes into your life, we should praise and thank Him first and most of all. When something bad comes in, we go and beg Him for help, comfort, and wisdom first and most of all. When something good happens, we take up psalms or any other form of singing or praise directed to God, which is what the psalms are, first and most of all. Because we want to take that blessing, that good thing, that success, that victory, and give God all the credit for it. Because it came from Him. So in both cases, we turn heavenward. We turn to the God who said in the day of prosperity and the day of adversity, I don't want you to find out anything beyond me. Because I'm behind both of them. And so we should take it all to Him. Look at Psalm 50 with me. A couple of verses about this second half of James 5.13. Psalm 50. In the New Testament we have the words, For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. What, do that, what does that do? In everything, thanks. That's what psalms are for. Thanking God. Are you merry? Praise God for His goodness. Psalm 50 and verse 15. Here's what the Lord says that we can and should do. Call upon me in the day of trouble. Did we already have that? That's James 5.13, the first half of the verse. I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. Then you have merry feelings coming because the Lord's delivered you and you're to glorify the Lord. You call upon Him in the day of trouble when He delivers you. Your, your eyes are back heavenward. Your heart is back heavenward thanking Him and praising Him and glorifying Him for the deliverance He has sent your way. In Deuteronomy chapter 32 it says this. It calls Israel Jeshurun. It says Jeshurun waxed fat and kicked. 
They got rebellious. They got haughty. They got proud because God blessed them and so they were fat. They got into the land of Canaan. They had all this land. This happened all through the book of Judges. They got into the land of Canaan, were blessed abundantly, and they rebelled against the Lord. They would go worship the gods of their choice instead of the God of heaven. Prosperity got their eyes down on this plane. When prosperity should get our eyes toward heaven, the Bible says the goodness of God should lead us to repentance. The goodness of God should lead us Godward. When He does good things in our lives, it shouldn't give us haughtiness. It should lead us toward Him. Remember the wise prophet Agur in Proverbs chapter 30? He said, Lord, don't make me too poor. Don't make me too rich. Give me meat convenient for me. I don't want to be rich because I might take thy name in vain. He wanted just a moderate income so that he wouldn't get caught up in riches. When prosperity comes, we want to sing psalms. When we sing psalms or sing songs to the Lord, what are we doing? We're turning all that joy and the merriness of the good things He's done for us back toward Him. It's a faith-based approach to life. One of the most damnable aspects of Hollywood and all worldly history and entertainment is their categorical and committed effort at destroying faith-based living. Even a movie that you may be able to justify that it doesn't have taking the Lord's name in vain, it doesn't have adultery, it doesn't have nudity, it doesn't have gratuitous violence. You, you find a movie that doesn't have those things, but it's not going to be faith-based. Faith-based is when trouble arises, you get down on your knees and you beg God for help instead of sharpening your sword or buying a newer, bigger gun. That isn't faith-based living. And you watch enough of that garbage, even though you have your little mental checklist, no nudity, American Family Association said it was okay. It's cute. They wear old-fashioned clothes. No swearing. You go down your long checklist. Just make sure you put one thing on your checklist. And it'll crush them all. Faith-based living. Because you watch enough stuff that doesn't have faith-based living, and you'll end up without faith-based living. When we're in trouble, we get on our knees. Every one of our children should know if anything negative happens, if there's any trouble or if there's a need, the family gets on their knees. Or the family takes hands and begs God to do something. Because that's faith-based living. Hollywood doesn't know anything about that and they destroy it. And they seduce us by giving us some movies that are a little sanitized over some of their others, but there's no faith. And then faith-based living, when something good happens... You don't just celebrate. You thank the God of heaven. You sing psalms. You turn, you turn the blessing back toward heaven. So in, on both sides, that's faith-based living, but you can't find that. In your books, in your magazines, reading, music, television, movies, history. You know, you read history. A history book. If you read history books without any regard for God, eventually you'll have no regard for God. Right. Can't avoid it. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. You read the average history book, when there's trouble, there's no mention of God delivering that nation or that man or that political party or whatever you're, or that army or whatever you're talking about. In general. And then when something good happens, they don't turn their attention to give God the glory for the blessing. You know, America is great. 
Not because of the division of labor like Adam Smith may have thought. It's not great for any reason like that. God bless this nation. And every history book ought to give God the credit and the glory for the wonderful things that have happened to this nation while it feared God in general. That's faith-based living. It's from James chapter 5 and verse 13. Prayer is never the solution to affliction, pain, or trouble by the world's right in the world's writings and in their dramas. Prayer is never the solution. It's always you need to do something. There's some natural remedy we can find. A bigger gun, a bigger army, more anger, more this, more that, when the answer is taking it to the Lord. And then when something good happens, they never give God the credit for it. They just celebrate and go on and glory in their accomplishments. James 5, 13. Is there any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Let's turn everything back to the Lord. Faith-based living. God is... And God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Everything we have, we've received from Him. So we shouldn't glory in it as if we did not receive it from Him. Because everything we have, everything we accomplish, is from Him. And we want to turn it back to Him. And when we're in trouble, there's only one that can help us. He is highly offended and jealous when we turn anywhere else in our time of trouble. Try Asa in going to doctors to get his cure. He wanted Asa to go to him first in repentance. Then the doctors might have worked. He wants us to go to him. May the Lord bless us in this, in these last two lessons to guard our lips by making sure everything that comes out of them is a clear yes and a clear no without frivolous oaths, swearing, or other euphemistic words coming out of our mouths. Let us guard our speech. Let us remember that in James 5.12 we have a great example of how to study the Bible. And then in James 5.13, let's, let's have faith-based lives. Let's turn everything back to the Lord, good and bad. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word.